Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good morning, everyone. It is Tuesday, August the 2nd, 2022. It is currently 1044 a.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from Abilene, Texas, where you can still hear the effects of COVID on my voice. Yes, this COVID will not leave me alone. It will not go away. We're still testing positive here. It, this, this has been an absolute just disaster, a train wreck, a, a dumpster fire. I don't know what words to use for it, but I know this. I'm tired of it. I'm over it. I want to be finished with it. I would like my voice to sound like, I don't know, normal, but it still doesn't sound normal because I'm still having lots of issues, still lingering symptoms with COVID. I so want this to be finished uh, as soon as possible. Um, if you are frustrated by the lack of live broadcast, if you are frustrated by the lack of new episodes, well, just imagine how frustrated I am with my lack of ability to be able to produce those new episodes. But all I can do is do what I can and hope. Hopefully, hopefully, I keep saying this every day. Maybe by tomorrow, everything will be back to, to by, uh, back to normal. Maybe tomorrow, everything will be back to normal. Yeah, if I can even speak correctly. It's been a long, long, long time. It feels like I have been away from doing my program for like a year. That's what it feels like. But slowly but surely, we're getting there. In the meantime, I will produce what I can and hopefully you will find it to be beneficial or helpful. Now, you will notice if you see the title for today that you're going to be thinking, wait a minute, I know you've had COVID. I know you're still struggling with COVID, but I think you're a little bit confused because it's, well, it's August the 2nd. It's a new week of Bible study. You're supposed to be talking about love and prayer. That's the Bible study exercise this week. And you know what? You're absolutely correct. It's not that I'm confused. It's not that I have some COVID brain fog. That's not the issue. Someone sent an email that requires us to go back to the last Bible study exercise, the one that we started trying to figure out what is love, and we started looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Now, I already acknowledged to you, we didn't really do everything we needed to do for that Bible study exercise, and that some way, shape, or form, I would circle my way back. I, I, I told you that, right? Well, this email gives me an opportunity to circle back to 1 Corinthians 13 and hopefully discuss something that I think is very, very important. Now, we still have lots of questions in regards to 1 Corinthians 13, lots of questions, um, I a few people asked some good questions. Some people asked some questions that I was really hoping more people would have asked. I think a lot of people, I think, have just been, you know, well, he's sick. You know, we really we're not going to bother him with questions, or we're not going to bother him with with things. And and I I do appreciate that. At the same time, if you do have any questions, thoughts, any any input in our study on First Corinthians thirteen or this week's study. Don't worry about me being sick. Go ahead and share it because that is encouraging. That's the best medicine right now is to see that even though I'm not able to do everything I want to do and need to do for the Bible study exercises, still realizing people are out there still working on 
the content, still doing the, the homework, still working on it, looking at the curriculum, whatever the case may be. So please uh, continue to do what you can so that you are not neglecting your Bible study and we will get everything will get back to normal, hopefully sooner rather than later. I know that's really foolish to say considering how long it's already been, but wow, wow, I'm finished with this. But okay, enough of my complaining about COVID, but I, I I stayed away from it for so long. It was... I wanted to be the last person on earth to to have not never you know been infected by COVID. I wanted to be the last man standing, and it it well it did not happen that way. But here we go. Are you ready? First Corinthians chapter thirteen. Oh, we have so many questions about First Corinthians chapter thirteen. But let's do this. Let's go to the email. All right, I received this at eight twenty one p.m. last night. Someone emailed me this, questions about 1 Corinthians 13, yay, questions about 1 Corinthians 13, I was so excited, someone emailed me and had questions, now on one hand, I was excited, another another part of me was like, oh no, I don't feel great, so what am I going to do, how am I going to handle this, but at the same time, I was excited that someone is out there engaging the study even though it wasn't a, re- a very good one, they, they at least engaged it in some way, shape, or form. All right, good. And someone else is saying ready. So that's, we at least have one listener <laughs> currently. Okay, I don't know. I'm not looking at the actual numbers. Okay, but we have one person listening currently and someone is engaging the content online. So we have, we have at least, that's a positive sign. All right, here we go. It says, hello. Last week, while working on part of uh, uh, when, okay, if I can, yes, when uh, I, I I have completely forgotten how to read, it's it's over, I'm done. Okay, let's let's try this again. It says hello. Last week, while working on part of one of the weekly Bible exercises, I came across a question, and we greatly appreciate hearing your thoughts. Here we go. Next paragraph. I was working on the exercise when you asked the listener to go through the qualities of love and then to find specific examples in scripture where God demonstrates those qualities. As I worked on it, I relied on my own personal knowledge of scripture to find those passages. Quickly, several qualities stuck out to me as being somewhat contrary to some of God's actions. I will list them below. Oh, yes. That's good, 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 good. The reason the reason I'm saying that's good is one of the things I've wanted to do is I've wanted people to find themselves working on 1 Corinthians 13 and finding themselves in some kind of conflict with the chapter. I know you're like, well, that doesn't make any sense. No, it makes perfect sense. So many times within Christianity, there is the, what I call the church answer mentality, right? We just hear something in church. We just, when we're asked a question, we just give the church answer. We just accept the church answer. We, we know the right words to say. We say amen. We say the right things. And everyone walks away going, well, that was great. But we, we sometimes never stop to go, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I don't know if that really makes sense. And I know I'm saying that, but I don't know if I really mean that. I know I'm saying that, 
but I know I don't really experience that. I know I'm saying that, but I don't really live that. So many times in church, it just feels like we can never just be honest with a reality. We're just like, what's the church answer? Okay, that's it. You know, the it's the joke. You ask a bunch of uh, kids raised in the church. Okay, what's kind of brown, has kind of a fluffy tail, runs up and down trees, and it, and, and it eats nuts? What is it? And then a church kid will say, well, I think it's a squirrel, but since we're in church, I'll just say Jesus. Okay, yeah, it's a little, It's a, obviously it's a ridiculous joke, but there's truth to that. Just because I, Jesus is the answer, you know, God, Bible, love, whatever I'm supposed to say without going, wait a minute, I don't know if that even has any correlation with the reality that I know. And I think there's a lot of things about 1 Corinthians 13 that we say, but I don't know if we really believe. And, and we, we've talked about some of these. 1 Corinthians 13, everyone says that's the definition of love. 1 Corinthians 13 is the definition of love. Love is not an emotion. Love is action. Love is a verb. That's what it is. And we all say amen in church. You, If you're one of those kind of churches where people applaud, the, the people will applaud the pastor. They may even give him a standing ovation. People are writing it down in their journal. But you know and I know that their experience with love is not love just as a verb or as an action. They connect love with emotions, with feelings. You know that, and I know that, and everyone sitting in the pew knows that. The one standing behind the pulpit knows that. So what's the point of saying, hey, love is, is a verb. That's what it is. All of these feelings and emotions, they don't count. You ever, and everyone says amen to that when no one lives like that. So you, you, you're going to have to be honest and go, man, I find myself in a little bit of conflict here. Well, I find myself in a little bit of conflict here. Do I understand love really just as action? Is that really how I understand that? And not only that, you should find yourself in conflict when you look at 1 Corinthians 13 going, hmm. 1 Corinthians 13, if that's what love is, and I'm supposed to love God, and I'm supposed to love my neighbor as myself, and I'm supposed to love my enemy, and this is what defines I love, you immediately would find yourself going, I fall short of that Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. I fall short of that every single day. I fall short constantly. Well, wait a minute, what do I do with the verses that seem to indicate that if I don't love properly, then I may not be a Christian? Now what do I do? There's lots of conflicts you should have with 1 Corinthians 13. And there's another possible conflict. If 1 Corinthians 13 is the definition of love, and if God is love, does God himself meet this definition? Now, you say, I've never even thought about asking that question. Well, this person says, wait a minute, I, I think I've got a question. Let me read it again. As I worked on it, I relied on my own personal knowledge of Scripture to find those passages Quickly, several qualities stuck out to me as being somewhat contrary to some of God's actions. Well, if love is an action, and you look at some of God's actions, does God's actions stay consistent with what 1 Corinthians 13 define as it defines love? Another question, another conflict we should have, is 1 Corinthians 13 the end-all, be-all definition? Love is nothing more than what's laid out in 1 Corinthians 13. I mean, there's lots of, of, of questions that I was really hoping would just spark like crazy conversations uh, on the week that we were studying this. Of course, I was down with COVID, and, and so I think a lot of people were being respectful, but hopefully people will come back to those questions and go, wait a minute, I'm, 
I, I know what I'm supposed to say in church. And I'm like, I agree. We all know what we're supposed to say in church. But we all know the reality is very different here. So let's go through some of the, 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 his examples, and we will take them apart. All right, first, he goes, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to list some of them below. That's what the person in the email says. And then they go on to say this. Number one, love is patient. Although I wholeheartedly agree that God is indeed patient and demonstrates that through the entire Bible, there is an instance where God is perhaps not as patient. Exodus chapter 32, verse 9, where the people of Israel construct a golden calf and begin worshiping it. God declares that he will destroy them and uses Moses to, to, and, and uses Moses to build his uh, people. Moses protest, uh, protests to God and is successful in changing his mind. Do the Israelites deserve to be destroyed? Without a doubt. Yet we see in God's reaction what appears to be a hasty outburst of anger. Now, I think you, there's probably some other examples you could find where God, I mean, it just goes from someone does something, boom, until judgment hits almost instantaneously, boom. And you're like, whoa, what just happened? What just happened? Right? Ananias, Sapphira, boom. They're, I mean, they die relatively quick, do they not? Okay. The people offering strange fire, what, in Leviticus, they're burned up. I mean, I would think of some, there's plenty of times with uh, Israel in the wilderness, judgment comes and people start dying. When the snakes come in and start buying, uh, biting people, we can think of some pretty, pretty serious examples. I, I think you can as well, right? So how do we understand these, uh, these, situations where God doesn't appear to be very patient. He's like, wait, they, they did this judgment. Boom. And you're like, whoa, where is that long suffering? Where is that patience? Is that a contradiction? Now, immediately, of course, I know, you know, the church answer. No, it's not a contradiction. I understand that we're going to claim that it's not, but we have to try to figure out, well, what is an answer? Number two, love is not boastful. Job 38 through 42 comes to mind where God speaks to Job about his creation. Is God boasting in these chapters? I could see arguments for both sides. Love is not boastful. Is God boastful? Right? Number three, love does not insist on its own way. This was a big one. God is omnipotent and all creation bows to his will in the Bible. God always gets his way and there are terrible consequences when we, we when his will is disobeyed. Jonah 1.4 uh, came quickly to my mind. <laughs> okay, they go on to say this. I've been thinking about this quite a lot and I think I understand the answer. But I really like to hear your thoughts. I felt blasphemous when these questions came to my mind, but instead of ignoring them, I wanted to face them head on and hopefully have a deeper understanding of God and God's love from those questions. Well, see, first of all, I hate the fact that the person felt blasphemous for feeling that way, but that sometimes is the, is the mentality the church has. Never ask any tough questions. Never struggle. Never doubt. No, just, just whatever you're supposed to say. And I know that's, it's not blasphemous to struggle. It's not blasphemous to go, wait, this doesn't make any sense. It, there's plenty of things. I mean, look, I think we can all, I think we can all agree. There's a big one, right? That this person did not even mention, right? Let me see how this works. God, okay, let me, let, I'll try to explain, All right? So 
1 Corinthians 13 is supposedly what defines love. We do know, there's no question here, that 1 John chapter 4, 1 John chapter 4 verse 8 says, He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. So there's no question, it's dogmatically asserted, God is love. 1 Corinthians 13 seems to tell us what love is. So God is love. 1 Corinthians 13 seems to define what love is to some level, right? We, can, we, we still haven't maybe completely answered that question. Is it the end-all, be-all definition? But there's no question about it that 1 Corinthians 13 gives us some aspects of what love is. God is love. How do we understand? look at 1 Corinthians 13? We, we are to see in some way, shape, or form the character of God. But when you think of God is love, how do you reconcile in your mind the fact that God is love Yet, people, human beings, created in his image, will die and spend an eternity separated from him, suffering. Now, some people argue, well, that proves love. Some, some people argue that proves love. The fact that God would, would allow, allow, quote unquote, allow people the freedom to choose against him and then go to hell. That's, that's love. That's, that's what love really is. Some people would argue it's a proof of love. But I think, I think for many would be like, that's a little kind of messed up. Hey, believe in me, and if you don't believe in me, you will be punished with eternal fire and damnation. But that, that's because I love you so very much. I think some people would struggle with that as well. It's okay to struggle with it. All right, yeah, yeah. So, so I, I, someone just says, I don't get it. I agree. I, 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 I look, this, to me, one of the most important concepts to understand about theology is that we're never going to always understand everything about God. Every, uh, we're never going to always understand what God does, why he does it, why he doesn't do something, right? And just listen, this is very important. Our, our, lack, of, our, our lack of ability to understand something doesn't mean we reject it or that we somehow, it proves something is not true. It just proves that we lack an understanding of it. And we, and we should, we should expect that. Here is eternal God, all powerful, all knowing, all wise, everything about this eternal God. And then here we are. He's infinite. We're finite, right? He's eternal. We're, we, are born and we die. He is all-knowing. We are very limited in our understanding. So we should expect that there's constant things we come into contact with when dealing with theology and the study of God going, I don't understand it. It doesn't make any sense. doesn't mean, now what some people do is because they don't get it, they don't understand it, they immediately reject it. And then they begin to structure things in a way that makes sense to them. The study of theology is not our attempt to make sense of that which is sovereign and divine. Theology is our attempt to just come face to face with the truth of the eternal and the divine and then submit and bow ourselves before it, even though we don't understand it. Sometimes we like, okay, I don't get it. Now I'm going to, I'm going to just take it and restructure it. So it makes sense to me. That's not what we're supposed to do. So there's things here that this person has brought up that makes a lot of sense. So let me try this. And I don't know if this is the answer they, 
that they thought I was going to to go with. But here's the answer that I'm going to try to kind of lead you to, right? What we have a tendency to do with God is we have a tendency that when we're studying a certain attribute, a certain part of God, is we, in, in many cases, study that part at the expense of all the others, God is love, absolutely true. God also is holy. God also is righteous. God also is just. God also is sovereign. God also is eternal. There there are all these other aspects of God. We can't just say God is love at the exclusion of God is holy or God is eternal or God is sovereign or God is righteous or God is just. We, We can't do that. So, so many times when we say God is love, then we're like, okay, God must do everything a certain way because this is what love is. But we have to remember that God is love plus these other attributes. So in other words, God God is love, but it has to be a holy love because you can't exclude, well, his holiness. God is love, but it has to be a righteous love because, well, his, he is righteous as well. So we have to take all of his attributes into consideration, right? Now, I'm not saying this is perfect, but just stay with me here. All right. Love is patient, Love is long-suffering. Now, first of all, we have to understand this love as being long-suffering and patient, not in light of certain instances where he seems to demonstrate maybe a character or an attribute that's different than that. Remember, in many of those cases where he brings immediate judgment, he is demonstrating his holiness and his righteousness, which obviously, if he... He has to do because he's holy and he's righteous. But here's the thing to remember. God is eternal and God is all-knowing. The fact that there are human beings currently on this planet breathing. All right, uh, someone just said, so is it like each attribute is a piece of a pie or is God fully all those attributes? Well, that's a good question. I think in a sense, he's all, I think he's all the attributes. I think he's all of the attributes. I don't think that, uh, I don't think there's a way to, to break it down like on a, on, a, on a pie chart. I don't, I don't think he's, he's this much love or this. No, he's all of these attributes, right? Now, I think it's, uh, that's a, it's a good question. It's a good question. I think he's all of the attributes. I don't think that there's like parts I think they that they make up the totality of all of who God is. So I, th- I think that's a good question, right? So, but let me try this again because I think this is important, right? Good question, good question. All right, here we go. Love is patient or love is long-suffering. We have to understand that attribute of love as it relates to God by understanding God is eternal. So we as human beings exist The fact that we exist is a constant proof of God's long suffering and patience because we don't deserve to exist. 
There should be no human being on earth. We should all be destroyed. We should all be in hell because we're all sinners. And God knew before the foundations of the world that those he would create would rebel. And that we, and because we, listen, the minute we are conceived, we are conceived in sin. At the moment of conception, we are brought forth sinners. We are rebels against God from the moment of conception. We are dead in our trespasses and sins. We have a depraved heart that's deceitful above all things. We are, we are wicked. We are ungodly. We're rebels. We, we deserve judgment. The fact that, the fact that God did not, you know, he brought judgment in Exodus 32. The people of Israel should have been destroyed way before Exodus 32. The people of Israel should have been destroyed. Well, I mean, there shouldn't have been anyone existing the second Adam and Eve sinned. Adam and Eve should have been destroyed. There should have been no one left. Uh, over time and time again, God has demonstrated his long suffering with the human race. So we can't just say, well, God doesn't appear to be very patient in this situation. Wait a minute. The fact that those people are existing is a demonstration of his patience. If, if God allows someone to live for 25 years, they, they lie and immediately he strikes them dead. That's still patience because for 25 years, those people shouldn't be breathing. Neither should I. Neither should you. So you have to understand his long suffering in light of his eternality. The fact that he is eternal. And you have to understand his patience in light of his holiness and his righteousness. Because of his holiness and righteousness, he should hate sin, which he does. And we're sinners. So in one sense, we should be destroyed. But while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That, that's the that's the reality of common grace. The fact that it rains on the just and the unjust. The fact that we breathe. The fact that the, the moonlight and the sunlight and the rain uh, even is presence. The fact that there's even food. The fact that we exist is a constant reminder of God's great long suffering and patience. So you, you can't just, you have to see the one action in light of the totality of all of God's actions and the totality of all of who, of who he is. All right? Love is not boastful. Love is not boastful. Now I'm going to find that in 1 Corinthians 13. I'm going to find that in 1 Corinthians 13. All right? Um, let's see here. First uh, Corinthians 13, four charity suffereth long as kind charity envieth not charity vaunteth not itself is not puffed up. I think that's the one that they are referring to. Uh, yeah, I think that's where, where, where it's referring to now. Got to remember about this. One of the things about God is God is absolutely holy. So God, God can, in a sense, he can carry out and I'll, I'll, I'll give you, I'll, okay, let me give you an example. We are not to seek out vengeance for ourselves. Vengeance belongs to the Lord, right? We can't seek out vengeance 
because obviously it would be sinful, it would be self-serving, but God can bring, in a sense, vengeance or punishment upon a sinner, but it would somehow, and when he does so, it's right because he's without sin, right? So therefore, vengeance can belong to God because his vengeance is not in a it's being done in a holy way, in a godly way, where ours, it would be done in a vindictive and self-serving way, all right? I hope that makes a little bit of sense. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to check something really quick. I'm going to make sure that I have my, uh, I'm going to make sure I can read any comments that are still coming in. Okay. All right, good. All right, I can... Because on the computer, I stopped getting them after so many. So I just want to make sure I can see that. So I think what we have to do here is that he points to love is not boastful um, comes to mind. When God speaks to Job about the creation, is God boasting in these chapters? I will say this. There are times clearly where God will declare his attributes, his power, his, right, especially like in Job 38 to 42, he declares all of these things. Now, but he, but we, this is what we can know because God is holy. It's not being boasting in a sinful, arrogant, ungodly way. It's being done in a righteous, holy way because all of God's actions are holy and righteous. Now, it may not appear that way from our vantage point, right? Because we see that kind of action as being an arrogant, self-seeking, self-serving, you know, narcissist who would do that. But we know that because God is holy, his actions therefore are holy. So we have to perceive that boasting, quote unquote, as being something that's not sinful because, well, God is without sin. That, that's, the, that's the only way to understand that, where if we were to do something similar, it would be arrogant, boastful, because we would be doing it for a self-serving reason. We would be doing it for a self-serving way. He's doing it to declare himself, I'm God and you're not, which is an absolute truth. Now, many atheists and agnostics won't see it that way. They will be like, no, he's an arrogant, self-serving, and, and I understand why. But again, that's us judging God. I, I, but the Bible makes it clear that and I think when you think about it, you know, the, the Bible says God is love, but the Bible repeats one, care, one attribute, not just that God is holy, but he is holy, holy, holy. That thrice repeated attribute all of his other attributes, all of his other actions must be viewed through the reality uh, that he is holy. Therefore, everything he does is holy. All right. Uh, love does not insist on its own way. All right. Uh, does not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own. Now, once again, obviously, God does seek his own. He, 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 he works all things according to his good pleasure and his will. But this is the difference between God does not seek his own in a sinful or ungodly way. But if you think about it, if you think about it, I'm making sure I'm not missing any comments. God demonstrates time and time again where he seeks more than just well, how can we say this? Let me state it this way. 
sinful people who deserve nothing but hell, God, for, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. There's plenty of times where God demonstrates his love and concern for others when others do not deserve anything. But ultimately, we would say he does that for his glory and his honor. So in other words, I think the only way to understand this is God does not seek his own in a sinful or ungodly way. All right. For example, um, is it, let's see, where is it here? First Corinthians 13. I don't, see, I don't think it says it in the King James. Let me see here. Um, I'm going to read it from a different translation. Some translations use a certain word. Let me see here. If I have it here. First Corinthians 13. I don't know which uh, word this translation uses. So love is patient, love is kind, does not, does not envy, uh, is not boastful, is not arrogant. Uh, some translations refer to the love basically not being jealous, right? Love is not jealous. Well, the difference, and a lot of, and I remember as a young Christian, I struggled that, well, wait a minute, God appears to be jealous. He says he's a jealous God. He, he, he doesn't allow you to worship any other God. He doesn't tolerate it in any way, shape, or form. You're like, wait a minute, that, so God, God doesn't meet that qualification. It's a difference between a human, selfish, human jealousy right? That says, no, it's mine and nobody else can have it. It's a, it's a very self-seeking, self-serving kind of jealousy where God, it's a, it's a holy, righteous kind of jealousy. So in other words, any of these actions, God may be able to do something quote unquote that appears to contradict some of these actions, but his contradiction is being done in a holy, godly way. Therefore, it's not a direct, actual contradiction of it. Where you and I, any deviation, it's because of sin. Think of it this way. Everything God does, does as a result of his holiness. Everything we do is contaminated with our sinfulness. Our love is tainted by our sinfulness. Our prayer is tainted by our sinfulness. Our praise is tainted by our sinfulness. Every religious act we do, every, every appear caring act we do is contaminated by our sin. Someone just asked the question, does any of the differences have anything to do with our right to do something? Creator versus creation type thing. And that's part of why it is a sin. Um, possibly, you could say creator has a right to do something that the creation doesn't have a right to do. It, I think, I think there's a, a good possibility. Put it this way. You have to account for that. You have to, you definitely have to account for the fact that you're speaking of the creator of all things. He may have a right to do something, but I think even, even, even if we say he has a right to do it, there could be some who try to call, still call it into question as contradicting 1 Corinthians 13's definition of love. And so what I would say is the reason it's not a true contradiction of love is not just because he's creator and I'm created. It's because his actions are not tainted in any way, shape, or form by sin. There is no sinful nature. There is no selfishness. There is no ungodliness. There is none of that, that in him where I if I was to do the exact same action, 
If I was to do the exact same action, all of them are tainted. Love is, uh, uh, love suffereth long. Well, my, even, even in my best attempt, even in my best attempt to show patience, even in my best attempt to show long suffering, it's probably tainted and I'm doing so out of my own self, selfish reason. I'm doing so for my own benefit. I'm trying to demonstrate patience and long suffering for what I want out of it. So not even that would be tainted for me. Um, love is, next one, uh, love is kind, okay? Even in my kindness, it's probably self-serving. I'm, I'm probably demonstrating kindness to you because of what I want from you, all right? And you, okay, you can go, man, you're, you're a piece of garbage. Oh, you're the same way, okay? So, you know, before you start calling me names, okay, um, <laughs> love vaunteth not itself. I, even when I'm trying not to vaunt myself or brag about myself or boast about myself, it's still probably self-serving. I still, I may be doing it going, man, if I, if I boast too much, then these people are going to think I'm arrogant and then I may lose friendship or I may lose a relationship or, or they may think negatively about me. And I don't want people to think negatively about me. So I may try to demonstrate humility for self, self-serving reasons. I think you can go through all of those and see how we're, it's very, let me state it this way. It's very difficult for us who are sinners to understand correctly the actions of a God who all, none of those actions are tainted with sin in any way, shape, or form. Uh, uh, the actions of God are all pure because they flow from holiness, where all of our actions are impure because they flow from sinfulness. That's why we cannot keep the law. That's why we are condemned by the law. And that's why we can't even look to our actions as proving our, our we're saved because even our good actions are insufficient to prove anything because they're all tainted in some way, shape, or form. I know that's a very negative view of humanity, and I know that if I was talking to a psychologist or a counselor, they'd be like, man, you're, you've been, you know, you've been mentally abused by this horrible theology. You can't view people that way. You got to view people as being basically good. But I know theology tells me people are basically bad and it makes us realize how flawed we really are. But we can convince ourselves that we're not. But it's, that's the problem. We see God's actions and we immediately view those actions through the lens of our own depravity. We see God's actions like, well, that doesn't make any sense. That doesn't, how dare you judge those people? Wait, that's not very loving. That's not very kind. That's not very compassionate because we see the action. uh, We understand it through our own depravity. It's impossible for me to see God's actions through the lens of purity and holiness because I've never truly experienced holiness. So I know every one of my actions are inherently flawed. That's the best answer I can come up with for 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 
and God. I still believe God is the one that we can see in his actions. He is the one who is love and demonstrates this kind of love in the only pure, holy way that we're ever going to see or understand. Because if God is love, 1 John 4, and in this says charity or love is, charity suffereth long and is kind, and it gives that, then we that's how we have to understand it. Now, that, that means this is the kind of love we are to pursue. This is the kind of love that we are to long for and we want to demonstrate to others. Just we have to realize we're never going to do this correctly in any way, shape, or form. We're going to fall short of it. And now, yeah, there's a lot of different directions we could go there, but I'll stop right there. Now, I'm going to go back, make sure I didn't miss anything in the email. All right. I just want to tell to the emailer, it's not blasphemous to struggle with these questions because we all do. Um, I'm glad the person wanted to face them head on and hopefully have a deeper understanding. I don't know if I gave a deeper understanding. Um, this, they, uh, the, the emailer says, I think I understand the answer. I'm, I'm curious to see if, you, if they agree with my answer or disagree with my answer. Um, and I'd love to get their perspective if they have a different perspective. All right, I'm going to stop right there. I'm going to stop right there. Make sure I didn't get any other comments. Someone said thank you. I appreciate it. I, ho- I hope that made sense. I hope it made sense. Um, I probably could do a little bit more, but I at least wanted to address this. Now, um, before we go, don't forget, we're in a new week of study, a new week of study. And remember, for this week, what you're supposed to be working on I haven't really given you much, really much homework. I've kind of given you a lot of of, of freedom to do a lot of things. Okay, good. Someone said it made sense. All right, good. Um, Make sure you work on 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. Remember, I wanted you to go back and look at Luke 10, what, 25 to 37, 1 Corinthians 13, uh, 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 8. I want you looking at those, looking at those, looking at those, looking at those. Remember, I wanted you to really start questioning and challenging yourself about what should motivate prayer. And uh, we, we talked about th- all of that. So you may want to go back and listen to part one for this week's Bible study exercise. Uh, definitely check out the curriculum. And um, yeah, there's a lot of questions about 1 Corinthians 13. A lot of questions. I just want you to feel the conflict with being able to, while you're sitting in church on a Sunday going, amen, love is a verb. Love is simply an action. Amen. This is so true. Okay, that's what love is. The world is so confused. They don't know what love is. And I'm so tired of them giving me this fake love on Disney movies and their pop songs. They don't know what it is. And we sound so sanctimonious and so religious, right? Uh, But then we walk out of church and within minutes, we basically demonstrate that we understand love has an emotion far more than we do in action, okay? (laughs) Because we do that all the time. I just, I just, it's just so funny. Christians can talk such, so sanctimoniously and just all spiritually sound. Oh, look how spiritual we are. And the world doesn't understand. And the world, and we always condemn the world. And then it was like, give me a break. We, we, we encounter love 
almost just like the world does all the time. And to say that we don't is just utterly ridiculous. So, uh, and you say, well, how do you reconcile that with 1 Corinthians 13? I don't know. I have an easy answer on how to reconcile it. I know this. Before I worry about reconciling it, I got to be willing to deal with the reality of the situation, okay? I can't be talking about, you know, Christians just walk around and like, nope, no emotion, no emotion, just action, just action. I don't, there's no emotion in my love for you. It's just an action. It's just an action. That's all it is. And if you look at the lack of action, the way many Christians demonstrate their love, even to other believers, <laughs> there's something horribly, horribly wrong, all right? Horribly wrong. Well, I don't, uh, yeah, I could, I could go all day. Um, and how Christians demonstrate their love with their actions. Yeah, I can give some great stories of how that works out. Hey, I'm going to call you and, and, and confess something that I've done. Oh, oh, thank you so very much for telling me you're going to help me. And then you hang up the phone, you call everyone, make all kinds of accusations, never bother to ever call me back. Thank you. Thank you. You're, you demonstrated your love for me with those wonderful actions. I, I, I could just go all day long with, with uh, examples of things that's happened, probably in your own life as well. And probably your own failure to demonstrate love and action. So I, I just think we have to, I just think 1 Corinthians 13, it sounds so good. And we love to put it on a, you know, put it in a frame and put it on the wall and, Everyone talks about it, and, and while we walk around acting like that we've got it figured out while the world doesn't, and that we're so much better than them because they don't understand love, but we do. Yeah. Okay. I think 1 Corinthians 13 lays out a godlike love that is foreign even to those of us who are followers of that God. All right. You can email me, newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. I am somewhat excited. 45 minutes, no coughing fit. My voice, I, I'm still waiting for like, so is it is it back to normal? But when I go listen, I'm like, that's not back to normal, okay? My, my voice dropped five octaves. I don't know what in the world's going on, but... I do feel like I was able to do some. So maybe, maybe, maybe we can get some live broadcasting in today. I, I don't know. Right now I'm going to take a break and eat and then we'll see. Maybe we can get some things done this afternoon. I don't know. We'll see. We got to, we're behind a, a million things, but we will see. All right. Okay. Thanks for listening. I don't know what else. Now I don't want to stop talking. Now I'm excited. Now I'm like, okay, I can do this. I'm, I, I'm just going to stay right here and keep talking, but we'll see. Hopefully it's all over. We got to take another test today uh, for COVID. Yesterday was still positive. Let's, ugh, let's hope today we got to get to the negative test so I can get back to normal. I mean, this it's ridiculous at this point. So um, yeah, that's, that's what's going on here. All right, everyone have a great day. Email me, newsif at yahoo.com. I, I have a feeling we'll be back and do some live broadcasting here in the next couple of hours. So stay tuned. Thanks for listening. God bless.